Blog Talk Radio. Firefly Willows L.I.V.E. presents Revolution, featuring your host, Heisey Lutner. Welcome, everyone, to the show today. Thank you for listening. And I'm joined by my co-hosts this morning, Mildred Lynn McDonald. Hello. John Caracella. Good morning. And Deb Caracella. Good morning, everybody. (laughs) And our topic for the roundtable today is, is kind of jumping off the idea, this is June, this is the month of summer solstice when the sun is at its peak. So there's this idea of wanting to look at you know, how are we shining in the world? How are What is our brilliance and how are we allowing that to both shine out to the world and be reflected back to us? And where and how are there things that may be getting in the way of us being able to shine brightest and reflect back to the world what we would like for them to see in us, as well as for us to then have reflected back what it is that we would like to see and get from the world around us. What are your suggestions for windexing your inner mirror? You know, how do we make a clear mirror within ourselves to see rather than seeing through a, a dirty surface or only seeing what other mirrors are reflecting back to us and then basing our self-image, etc., on that reflection? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, what I, I find is a useful exercise is to look at a photo of yourself. And sometimes people look at photos and they pick the photo apart. And I think that's really a reflection of what you value and how you perceive yourself. My photo that I have on Facebook and the one that I have at the end of my email, I look at it and it makes me really happy and joyful. As I look at it, I I feel what I was feeling at the time the photo was taken. You know, I would hope that that's passed along to other people. I'm I'm having myself reflected back to me in a very happy, joyful, and positive way. And it doesn't really, in that moment when I'm looking at my photo, it doesn't matter what anybody thinks or anybody says. It's enough. So how did did you get to the point where you don't look at a picture and pick it apart versus being able to see a picture of yourself that way? As I gained more and more inner peace. So how did you go about gaining that inner peace? Over the years, my practice trying to be in integrity and walk my walk and step back and exposing myself to higher beings, being open and maturing, all all different reasons, different ways. And this is for anyone. How can we start to recognize when we are operating from what other people and things reflect back to us? instead of operating from our own reflection of who we are and who and what our truth is versus some external version of the truth or who we should be or that kind of thing. Mm. Like, how can we recognize if we are having body image issues because we're buying into what external sources are telling us we should look like versus being able to see how we truly feel or see ourselves and our body image, for example. Well, it's pretty rich terrain. 
several things come to mind, but maybe the easiest one to communicate is when we start to compare with with the purpose of assessing something is that, that that something is better than something else or something that is higher or anything that isn't oh that's interesting anything that contains judgment is an indication that you're that you're basing your decisions or your conclusions on that which is outside of yourself it would seem to me that if you are actually reflecting from your inner core you are more likely to experience yourself as a unique being with unique gifts and that that makes you special. It can bring you joy as compared to if you're experiencing yourself as less than something else or someone else, if you're experiencing yourself as inadequate in some way, and that doesn't mean that you, that you're, that, you know, every time you experience struggle, that this would be the case. But when you are saying I should be, or I want to be like that person, well, I think there's a difference between aspiration versus comparison. Yeah. And what, okay. you're, what, what you're saying there, right at the end of what you were just saying, is more aspiring to perhaps better myself or strive for something or a quality that I see in someone else or see someone else exemplifying. But that's different than comparing myself and looking at someone and saying, I'm inferior or there's something wrong or bad about me because I don't look like that or act like that or something like that. So I think that there's a difference in aspiration versus comparison. Yeah, I think that's that's well said. I think there is a difference between aspiration and comparison. And I think aspiration is okay as long as you don't make it a, 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 a situation where you are denigrating yourself for not measuring up and that's that's when it becomes comparison and also not just mimicry or copycatting versus saying i admire that quality i would aspire to be like that but how do i take that and now filter it through myself to express it in my own way or to be that based on my own truth or who i am rather than simply trying to be somebody else you were asking before i see the path to getting to where you can look at yourself and have a joyful experience. When you start to learn how to laugh at yourself and not take yourself seriously, that opens the door to those types of feelings. And it also invites in compassion for yourself. And for me, I like to expand it a little further in the area of laughing. I exist in this lifetime, an aspect of me exists, and I'm sure other aspects of me existed in other lifetimes. So if you stretch out the continuum, then things become less serious. And you realize, as you were saying in one of your points from last week, you know, is it, is it a matter of life or death? Right. So the matter of life or death for me is the continuum of there are many lifetimes. And then you start to laugh at yourself. And then you start to have compassion for yourself. And your inner voice gets louder. And you recognize it. And you start to like it. You become a friend of it. Then your eyes, your eyes start to see things differently. They are the eyes of love for yourself, compassion for yourself, laughing at yourself. It's not a matter of life or death for yourself, multiple lifetime self. And I think those are some of the things that help to clean and make clear our inner mirror so that then we start to reflect those things outward and back to the world. 
and we can become more of a reflection of love and compassion and those kind of things towards others to help them see that from somebody else as well as perhaps to start seeing that in themselves as well rather than always looking outside of us for that validation or quality or that kind of thing. But there is a role for validation to come from the outside. So this is this is an interesting thing. But if we have a a, a dirty inner mirror, then what we're reflecting back can become murky or distorted. Oh yeah, that's true. And so the clearer our inner mirror is, the clearer we are able to see even if something outside of us is giving us validation, the clearer we're able to see that it is a truth or it is right or it is not. Mm, because good point. because we can we can get external validation from the external world that says oh, you look beautiful because you have on all of this makeup and therefore it's put on so perfectly and therefore that's what makes you look so good. Yeah, you're right. The external validation can be, can be a distortion too. Uh, right. Yeah. But, yeah. but our inner mirror would say, well, it's nice to hear that they're appreciating the makeup that I put on today. However, I know that that's not what's making me beautiful. Another thing came to me, Hi-C, is... Um, in terms of having a clean internal mirror reflecting others, we're taught in this society to look for flaws. So everybody is very astute in that area, whether we realize it or not. And many of the messages that we receive are, you are less than, or how to improve. And even if we don't absorb them consciously, sometimes we absorb them subconsciously, and when we have an awareness that that's what's in our environment, we can take steps to remove that by being more present with what we expose ourselves to, I feel is a little bit of Windex. Well, right. And I think that, that, that it's very important what you just said as to what we expose ourselves to, because it's like the difference between setting your mirror outside so that it just gets dirty from whatever elements come at it and stick to it versus perhaps keeping it covered and only uncovering it when there is a clear sunny day so that the, that what it's getting exposed to is <laughs> the brightest most positive thing is something that is not going to necessarily dirty it or dirty it very much maybe a little dust will get on there on a clear sunny day, but it's not the same as if it's sitting out in a rainstorm and sitting out in a snowstorm and just being battered by the elements. So I think that making that conscious choice as to what we expose ourselves to and then how we step away from that when it's not necessarily the best weather for us to be, ex or the best elements for us to be exposing ourselves to is a way of keeping the mirror cleaner without having to do so much work all the time just to clean it off. So what do you think is the what do you think is the biggest source of distortion or the the most challenging element that causes our internal mirrors to dirty that we are exposed to on a regular basis? Uh, I think it's your parents. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, I think it's our parents, you know, like like from the time we're little from the time we were just brought into the world, those early experiences, in fact, uh, Don Miguel Ruiz in The Four Agreements starts his book with a chapter on the smoky mirror, how the mirror is 
distorted and and dirtied by all these you know the experiences you that you have as a child that train the ego to perceive the world in a certain way when the world is not like that at all but we believe it's true because it's our, our for foundational formational experiences and i think that would be like the that that layer of grime that's on the very surface yeah that's underneath a lot of other stuff that is built up on top of it because you can you know you can dust a piece of furniture but it may still look dirty and then you have to get in and really get to the the grime and that that underneath layer that has gotten very settled in yeah and that's that's where ultimately you have to work through the the surfacey stuff but then you have to be willing to get down and do the harder scrubbing in order to deal with the things that have really settled in and maybe cause you to act or react or see yourself in certain ways that comes from the earliest imprintings yeah i think it could also be a disconnect from source or nature because when you're out in nature Nature is beautiful. It's it's so abundant and luscious and beautiful. You know that deep inside. And if you perceive yourself as a part of nature, then by association, what will start to creep in is that you're beautiful. And then your inner mirror will start to reflect that. And that becomes very strong. So something that Mildred had said gave me a, an idea of something that people could try. And I would encourage you, if you have a suggestion for something people can try, to not only clean off their inner mirror, but to start becoming more conscious of what they're allowing externally to reflect back to them that they're basing their own image or truth on, and then looking at what they're reflecting out to the world. You know, oftentimes we hear about doing like a gratitude exercise um, or a gratitude practice. So like it, at the end of each day, for example, you might write down a couple of things that you're grateful for from that day and keep them in a jar or something so you can see that jar of gratitude filling up over the course of a, well, for me, it'd be over the course of a moon cycle or that kind of thing. But what's, what we could also try doing is perhaps an empowerment practice, which is like Mildred was saying, that we tend to be very conditioned to a world or a habit of looking for flaws and criticisms. And, and even and even in the guise of things that are supposed to be helpful, you know, like in a job situation, you go in for a review, but really what they're doing is looking for what can you do better? How can you improve? And there often is a much less emphasis or there is no emphasis placed on what has been done well or right versus, okay, over the next six months, what are you going to do better? You know, or how can we improve this? And so perhaps at the end of each day, if we did an empowerment practice, we could write down a couple of things that says, I did this well today. I applaud myself for this today. Not looking at what I did that I can do better tomorrow, but looking at what did I do my best at today or what did I succeed at today. And just like with a gratitude practice, if you do that on a regular basis, it changes your perspective. So if we start thinking in a way that is about empowering ourselves or pointing out those things that are good or that we did well at the end of each day, 
that will start to shift our way of thinking so that we don't buy into that or, or operate from what we were conditioned to do, which is look for the flaw, look for the thing that needs to be improved, versus we start to see what is good, what is right, what is working well, what is in alignment with my truth, whatever, and we start becoming a reflection of that way of thinking rather than simply reflecting back the conditioned way that we were brought up in of, of looking for flaws or pointing out things that need to be judged. And there's an interesting contrast there, too. And one is, one is quite yin and the other is, is yang. Um, and it brings to mind a quote from Spinoza. He said, uh, to be all one is capable of being and to become one all, all one is capable of becoming is the only end of life. And what I am in this moment, I should be fully and, and in order to be it fully, I have to see it fully. I have to appreciate it fully. And that really does put you in the present moment to say, who am I in this moment? Not who am I, who do I want to be? Not who am I trying to become, but who am I in this moment? And looking at that person that I am, looking at that being, what part of that being Am I, sh am I sharing? What part of that being am I not sharing? You have to be it in order to really see it. I have a little exercise. If you, everybody has baby pictures, or most people have baby pictures. So if you pull out your pictures from when you were born and all through the years, to look at the point when you started to feel less than whole or feel inadequate or unworthy, as reflected back to you chronologically by photos. And, per, and perhaps you could approach the picture differently and look at it from a different perspective and say, what do I see in that person that I now know was present or what potential or what was I doing well that I can look back on and see that I wasn't able to acknowledge or see then? So that you start to look at that person from that time period differently of who you were then and you are able to look at the picture differently and see, see a very different perspective or a very different reflection of who that person is compared to how you have become very accustomed to looking at and remembering that person at that time. Because it can be a very transformative experience to build on what High C was saying you're looking at from the eyes of another aspect of yourself, basically. And sometimes those external eyes of someone else are also important. And so to, you know, another aspect of that exercise, using the pictures like you were talking about, Mildred, perhaps doing that exercise with yourself and somebody else and having them maybe write down their impressions of who they see in that picture and you write down who you see in that picture and then come together and compare that list because the qualities of the things they see may be very different and very surprising as to what other people are seeing, but also helps us see what it is that we may be reflecting out into the world and not even realize in a very kind of positive way. So with that, I think we'll bring this roundtable to a close, and I would encourage anyone listening to take advantage of this time of year and really think about with the sun being at its brightest and at its peak what are you allowing to be reflected back to you in the world around you? And what it is, what is it that you are reflecting to the world 
and how do those two feed on each other, help each other, hurt each other, and take advantage of this maximum amount of light that we have during this time of year to look at those things clearly, objectively, honestly, and start to perhaps be willing to work on being a brighter and clearer reflection to yourself and to the world around you. So thank you very much to my co-hosts for joining me today, Mildred and McDonald. Thanks, I see. John Caracella. Thanks, I see. It's fun. And Deb Caracella. Thanks, I see. And stay tuned because we have lots more coming up in the show. And if you'd like to call in for a reading in the latter portion of the show, feel free to call 646-716-5510 or you can Skype in from the show page and have your chance to get a reading live on the air during the show. Thanks, and we'll be right back. It's like you're my mirror, oh, running and staring back at me, oh, I couldn't get any Listening to Revolution with host Heisey Lutmers on Firefly Willows L I V E. Find out more at Facebook.com slash Revolution with Heisey. Enjoy the show. Good afternoon, boys and girls. This is Prometheus, your queer astrologer, here to deliver another monthly star report. So this month we're going to be starting with a little bit of star vision, which will be the conflict between harmonization and autonomy. So it seems that there will be no still point in the stellar movements we are all collectively living through. The point of dynamic equilibrium will be found within ourselves. And the only way we can successfully navigate these dynamic times is by sitting in the eye of the hurricane, which is that point of absolute calm that exists at the center of the tumult. Avoiding to do this, and we are spun out into the chaos of the storm. So what's with all this idea of hurricanes and storms and... Well, it's because June is going to promise to be a particularly 
blustery and rather intense month in terms of what's going on in the sky. So the theme for this month is very much about this dynamism, about balancing our sense of an atomized self with the visionary perspective of that self enlarging its sense of its own boundary. This is where the dance between autonomy and harmonization, which is required for an increasingly global world, After many dynamic months shaping the contours of 2014, it seems the trend will only continue with the theme being a transformation on what is defined as self and other. Increasingly, the distinction is becoming fuzzier and self is beginning to overlap with other in such a way that the two are no longer distinct. The backdrop of the month is certainly speaking to this, albeit in a much more active and rapid way. The overwhelming feeling is one of taking to heart Carl Sagan's logic underpinning pale blue dot, which is we are evolving towards the capacity to share this tiny world with each other. The vision is simple. No one succumbs to the effects of poverty any longer, and out of our thrust towards planetization, we are becoming a completely self-sustaining, intercommunicating organism, which, of course, leads into naturally our pale blue dot aspect pattern, which is Uranus in Pisces, Mars in Virgo, and Pluto in Sagittarius, all forming a T-square, which will last from June 1st through to the end of the month, and actually well into the first week of July, if we really want to pay attention to um, the very dynamism of how these aspects work. We have the most direct contact for the T-square happening on June 25th. So the T-square that defines the background frequency of June is putting additional pressure on this much-needed leap in our understanding of ourselves. Uranus and Mars are acting as catalysts, energizing Pluto at the apex, with potentially explosive results as the chain reaction reaches critical mass. There is considerable pressure on using our innovative mentality towards crafting a new spiritual vision of humanity and actively engaging with the practical concerns of a living planet with certain limitations. Especially present is the need to connect our actions with our ecological awareness. We need to begin aligning our collective behaviors to what we know about our planet and its limits. That is what this transit explicitly speaks to. We must begin to take to heart and live out the vision of pale blue dot, the idea that we are on an interconnected living planetary system, our spaceship floating in the ocean of space. We must learn to share this planet with one another, and what's more is that the threats to our collective survival are no longer external. They are generated from our own actions and beliefs. Our beliefs are no longer serving our desire to thrive here on this earth. To add a little understanding to that whole mix, this actually speaks to the fact that Pluto is transiting in Sagittarius, which will culminate in 2024, and will have us continually examining our beliefs, actions, and greater impact on the larger world, as these are all issues that Sagittarius is said to correlate to. The specific emphasis is increasingly on our foreign relations as this archetype is said to deal with foreign lands and cultures. 
Pluto as the great transformer and purifier is compelling us to go on a revision of our most sacredly held beliefs, those that would fall under the province of philosophy, religion, spirituality, and culture. And this T-square is energizing the Plutonian impulse to purify and renew whatever it touches. And part of that is discarding beliefs which are potentially holding the, the seeds of our own destruction. Adding further pressures to this volatile yet alchemical mixture are the Uranus and Pisces energy, which is symbolic of our desire to create innovative technologies which will continue to dissolve the distinctions between us and help us see our common human heritage and the common ground of our being, this planet Earth. Mars in Virgo is adding the need for a realistic vision and a hopeful pragmatism which allows us to address the practical issues tied up in globalization. And, as, and the foundation of an international civilization with a possible future as a spacefaring entity. It encourages a vision of self with a larger definition of its boundary. No longer will the self be seen as the skin and scapulated ego, but instead our self will expand in definition to encompass the community of life on this planet and its critical life support systems. The T-square energy will be felt all month long, but will go direct on the 25th, where if we are sensitive to the subtle cosmic echoes, we will feel the pressure to transmute our ideals, identity, and concepts of self to reflect our participation in a much wider framework. On top of all of this, <laughs> and influencing this, will be a Mercury in retrograde through Gemini, which started on the 5th and will last until July 2nd. So again, another month-long transit, which will have us dealing with a lot of fragmented thinking. So to add to the already intense T-square frequencies of June is the always dreaded Mercury retrograde periods lasting nearly five weeks. The typical response is to freak out, but really all Mercury retrograde retrograde periods signify is a need to review, revise, and redo one's affairs. With this one being in Gemini, the focus will be on the details, relativity, and all the disparate and diverse practical concerns. Make sure there's plenty of petrol in the tank and that all repairs have been made on the car before engaging any long-term trips. Be sure to get accurate directions before going on short trips and expect delays in seemingly small details. In a broader context, it will be a time for larger projects to review the minute details that are fundamental to their work. Making sure any official or legal documents are squared away is huge. Being clear to revise any contracts or pacts to make sure the terms are fair and mutually agreed upon, and a need for international bodies to review and go over tiny details to potentially avoid a diplomatic incident are all essential. The take-home message Mind the details. Starting June 9th, we can expect to feel some more co-evolutionary relationships, which is to say we're experiencing a Venus and Aries trine Pluto in Sagittarius, which generally is a harmonic aspect. However, in this case, it's going to feel more like an arms race, a, a kind of co-evolutionary arms race. So our ability to connect to the visionary will be highlighted Sagittarius being the clear-eyed visionary who can pragmatically overcome various material and internal concerns to move towards the height of a spiritual vision. Venus in Aries allows us to desire to do it for ourselves. 
and our sense of self can easily expand to embrace this more visionary outlook and it becomes effortless to align our desires to our more ideal vision of who we are in the world. Starting June 13th, we might find ourselves in the midst of an intimate struggle with Venus and Aries opposing Saturn in Libra. Under this transit, relationships tend to hit delays and snags and specifically need a more careful and pragmatic approach. It is encouraging a need to slow down and think deeply on the matter and make cautious decisions on how to move forward that balance desire with duty, autonomy with harmony, and self and other. Self-consciousness could become particularly peaked at this time as we contemplate how we fit into larger social agreements that we are enveloped in. It is a question of balancing the self with society at large and pointing out areas where our cultural traditions are destroying liberty and where they are expanding the definition of what liberty is. To add to that mix, the very next day, June 14th, we might find ourselves with some extreme behavior on our hands as Mars in Virgo squares Pluto in Sagittarius. Reinforcing the previous day transit, which has us feeling all self-conscious, is a more volatile transit starting the next day, which has us potentially making rash decisions and behaving in extreme and bizarre ways that are outside our normal range. It is a transit that calls for caution and for thinking before acting as we may find ourselves being more extreme and impulsive. A mind towards balancing the pragmatic with the visionary is called for and avoiding extreme behaviors. Behavior will ideally reflect a more thoughtful and practical approach, even as we are acting towards our ideals. Self-awareness can peak, and we may find ourselves being far more effective at dealing with crisis or crossroads. There is a tendency to act in effective ways, providing they are not in the extreme, which sadly by default they tend towards. Awareness is key. Starting June 18th, we will see what's known as the benefactors with Venus and Taurus sextile Jupiter and Gemini. The two great benefics unite in sextile, which is really just another way of saying they have sex with each other, and they bring out the best in each other. It signals an opening to enjoy life's pleasures, and with Venus being at home in the other sign it rules, in this case Taurus, this tendency is is heightened. Taurus correlates to preservation, gardening, the body, physical limits, the senses, and finance. Economic and financial matters have a much easier time going forward as the parties involved tend to be more receptive to each other. Relationships will find an ease under these transits, as well as people tend to being more open to one another. Jupiter in Gemini tends to magnify our thinking process and nuance our thinking towards a more relativity-oriented perspective, which is to say we we see every shade of gray in a big way, and our thinking becomes more varied, diverse, and far less rigid. In broader contexts on the world stage, getting ideas and concepts toward longer longer time arcs are easier to manifest into the real world. Good ideas find financiers easily under this transit so that innovations whose time has come can more easily make their mark on the world. The very next day, June 19th, we will be experiencing what's euphemistically called conjunctio, which is to say that the sun will be conjunct Mercury and Taurus. Desire and will align with thought, 
under the auspices of this transit. If you seem like an open book more so than normal or are not usually forthright, this is an, this is an opening to that potential if you should feel compelled to. There is a sharpness and a deliberate and carefully rationed response to decision-making, as well reflecting the more patient and slow-moving Tauran energy. The psychological focus is on the body, senses, and the physical concerns. In a broader context, it is an easy time to make decisions that have far-reaching effect on physical planetary systems. The thrust of this moment will be independent thinking along the lines of the limits imposed by natural laws and how we can come into alignment with the needs of our body and the planetary body at large. And as mentioned before, June 25th, we will be in the midst of a particle accelerator in the sense that this is the day when that T-square we've been feeling all month long goes direct. And we're really going to be feeling this. It will be a particular sensitivity to the frequency of this transit will be more easily felt as the powerful energization of planets occurs and puts pressure on the need to transform philosophies, ideals, and spiritual concepts. By June 29th, four days out from that very intense T-square, we will be slipping more easily into hidden dimensions as the sun will be in Gemini and trining Neptune in Aquarius, which is an easy, uh, harmonious aspect. In particle physics, this here is an example, which is to say quantum mechanics, there's a working theory called string theory that posits that there are innumerable dimensions wrapped up in vibrating strings of energy smaller than quarks, which are the smallest known particle objects. This is an apt metaphor for this transit as it has to do with being able to embrace and be sensitive to the aspects of reality that are more than meet the eye. The world we live in is not the world as it occurs in fact, as there are many interactions we cannot see. This transit enlivens our imagination and opens our vision towards being able to acknowledge that there is more than meets the eye. It opens our senses to the hidden dimensions. On a more specific note, it may signal an advance in our ideas or our relationships to technology. The ongoing transit of Neptune through Aquarius signals a transformation in our aesthetic and spiritual understandings surrounding science, technology, and the urban environment. With the Gemini influence surrounding will and desire, it becomes easier for us on a personal level to embrace hidden dimensions of reality and to dream in a nuanced way of how technologies can unite us and solve salient existential problems and deal with species-wide threats. In harmony with this is the Neptune and Aquarius transit, which, which suggests how we can improve our cities to address these existential issues and how our scientific awareness can begin to shape our behaviors that give manifestation to our collective ideals. And once again, we finish out a rather intense month on a nice high note, which will help us sail gracefully into July. And that, my friends, is your star report for June. I will see you in a month's time on the next broadcast. If you are curious or have more questions and would like to consult with me, I am available for consultation. You can be sure to check out my blog, which is Flying Punk Rock Unicorn, 
www.wordpress.com. I'm also available via email at kalenda.tuno at gmail.com. That's C-A-L-E-N-D-A dot T-I-N-O at gmail.com. And keep watching the sky. Thanks to Tino Kalenda for, once again, his insight, wisdom, and guidance with his astrology update for this month. I will remind you that if you'd like to get a reading a little bit later in the show, you can get into the queue by Skyping in from the show page or calling 646-716-5510. We'll be back right after this. Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E. We're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us. Host a show or be a guest or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable changemakers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E, helping you find and shine your inner light. My revolutionary guest today is Chelsea Cooley, or Chella, creator of the Golden Almach Creation Method for Healing on the DNA level. The Golden Almach Creation features the work of Chella, who is a pioneer and specialist in charting and healing humanity's galactic DNA essences. Chella developed her own modality of healing, the Golden Almach Method, which utilizes customized cosmic portals of energy to assist individuals in healing their galactic DNA. By receiving healing through the Golden Almach method, it is possible to remove energetic implants and activate hidden spiritual abilities and gifts once the DNA becomes activated. Chella is currently writing a book about her galactic DNA healing work and has been assisting individuals to tap into their divine galactic essences so that they can discover their true potential. You can find out more about Shayla and the Golden Almach Creation Method by visiting her website at goldenalmachcreation.com, which is golden, A-L-M-A-C-H, creation.com. So please help me welcome to the show revolutionary guest Chela and her revolutionary Golden Almach Creation Method. (laughs) 
And welcome to the show, Chela. Thank you so much for being willing to join me here today. Thank you for having me on the show. Hi, Steve. I'm very glad to be here. <laughs> I actually was just uh, noticing, I found it very interesting. I always ask um, uh, people for their theme music so that they can always kind of choose if they have particular music they think of as the theme for their life, for what they do. And I also, um, with uh, Tino, a.k.a. Prometheus, who does the astrology report, he also will give me music to use each month. And I found it very interesting that both of you um, gave me music that is a little bit more intense or aggressive or raw in, in a certain sense, which I think is a bit of a reflection about hmm, what's kind of going on right now, kind of the energies that people are dealing with and the way people are kind of feeling. And so I think that it's a very perfect time for us to be talking about the work that you're doing because especially from an astrological standpoint, uh, starting in 2011, though we could look and say it started earlier, but really kicking in 2011 and going through at least 2015 and then beyond, um, but I'm thinking particular of the Pluto-Uranus square, um, we're in a very, very intense period of transformation and change. And it's like the universe is saying, no more dilly-dallying. <laughs> we're going to start kicking you in the butt to push you into the change and push you into the transformation you need to experience and that needs to happen, regardless of how uncomfortable you may feel about it and how much you may resist. And so I think that the work that you're doing is something that is extremely uh, useful and beneficial to people to help not only navigate through that change, but to really tap into and accelerate or enhance the change and transformation that they're experiencing because what you do goes way down to like the DNA level. Um, so I'm wondering if you can uh, maybe just explain a little bit about what the Golden Almach method is and even maybe the name where it comes from um, so that people have a little bit better understanding of what I'm now referring to that you do and that can help in the process of going through this change and transformation that most of us, and especially planetary-wide, we're experiencing right now. Definitely. Um, first, I'll start with the name Golden Almak. It comes from, it's basically indicative of my experience of awakening to this kind of information and how I get it. So through the name itself, I'm giving honor and I'm giving respect to my teachers, which are cosmic teachers. They are the stars. They are the star beings that are directly my teachers with this work. They taught me how to see humanity in a really beautiful way. And really what my work does is to help individuals to see themselves in a very empowering and uplifting way. So it all started with basically when I was a child, I would see people as having essences or I'd see them as being more than just a human body. I would see, see someone and I would recognize that they had an attribute that looked more like a fairy or like a lion. And I started to pay attention to the way that I was seeing people in my life. And I started to see how people were actually using that ability in their lives, but they weren't conscious that they were embodying this aspect. 
so over the years, I started just taking notes, observing, and really just watching how humanity uses these abilities in an unconscious way, and it still has an effect. And then I realized that these essences are a part of the chakras. They're an advanced layering, a special substance or a special aspect, which our chakra system has. And so I started figuring out how to chart these through the wisdom that the Star of Almak gave me and through all of my various celestial guides helped me to connect with this information. So it's been a process that I've been observing my entire life, and I'm very happy to be able to share it with people now that I have a greater understanding as to how it works. And when you say the Star of Almak, can you explain a little bit what that means or what that is? Almak is a star in the Andromeda constellation, and uh, there are various stars in the cosmos that directly send uh, information to our planet, and Almak is one of them that is opening up information. It's expanding the consciousness, and there's many others. They all do that. But the one that I work with directly is that one particular star because it helped me to see my essence by figuring out. I was asking myself one day, well, if I come from a star and, it, and there's this term star-seeded, then which star is it that I come from? So I went through this kind of investigative process and discovered it was Almak that I was connected to and that each person has a unique star or star system that they fully embody and that they're connected to. And to know that really brings a lot of clarity in the consciousness and a lot of strength also in the physical body as well. And I think people, even without consciously realizing that or thinking about it in that way, I think that we we all know that at a very core, deep level because every person when they go out and they look up into the night sky and look at the stars, I think that everyone is both feeling a sense of awe, but they also always seem to have some way of saying how they feel connected to or they're drawn to or they just feel like there is something. It's like everybody is aware of how distant the stars are and part of that may just because we have that scientific knowledge, you know, in the sense of how far stars are away from us. And yet when you look up at the stars, you feel as if they're not only distant, but they're like right there in front of you. And that to me is is the kind of connection that you're talking about. And I think that everyone has but doesn't consciously realize. And so, well, actually, the first thing I'd like to ask you is how and when did you um make that initial connection or contact and how do you receive the information from Almac for uh, as well as others if you also get information otherwise? Yes, I receive information from a lot of different star systems and particular stars themselves and also the star lineages. I've opened up my mind to the possibility of more than just Almac. It's just I'm grounded in, in the wisdom of Alma because that's like the origin of this work. Um, so the way that I got that information is through a very deep meditative process. Uh, when I was a child, I used to go into the woods and sit under trees with my back against, against them for hours, and I had no idea that was meditation. 
I was actually raised uh, religious, so I had no idea what I was doing. But it, it was just very pure kind of light that would come through and fill my entire body and clear out my mind and open it up to a new way of seeing. And then from there, I just really started, it's like you, you walk up to a door and then you kind of feel it out. Do I want to open it or do I just want to observe it for a while? But I decided to actually open that door. And then I started being able to see, you know, uh, interdimensional beings and angels and ETs and everything because I wanted to. I had a sincere desire to, to see that and connect with the unknown, and I wasn't afraid of it at a very young age. But from there, everything just started blossoming and opening up with my consciousness and with this understanding. And, and I think, isn't that really the key that they... They kind of that door opening that you're talking about. They wait for us to show that we are ready and willing to see or hear or receive the information. They don't. They don't really force it on us. Correct. They always abide by our free will. They allow us to make that decision, and it has to come from a really pure place. So even if we're thinking that we're ready, possibly for contact. Uh, a lot of times people might have a certain fear because, say, if they were to encounter some being that looked very strange to them and they were afraid, that being wouldn't even want to experience you having that fear towards it because it's harmful to the being and it's, and it's not a good way to start a relationship. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, so, so the, the way you get information, is that what most people might think of when they hear the term, say, channeling? Is that kind of that idea of how you get the information? Yeah, you could call it channeling, and also it's just a pure stream as well, which is also another word for channeling. It, it's just opening yourself up to your own guidance, to your own self is really what it is. Uh, so I don't use channeling so much to describe it because it implies that I'm getting it from something else. But it's actually really all this information is inside of our DNA. And once we awaken to ourselves, then everything that we want to know about the cosmos, about our planet, about each other is available. It's all accessible. And so I'm, I'm thinking that this is probably what you mean when you use the term galactic DNA. Is it's in our DNA that connection to that star information. Correct, and it connects us to an infinite amount of possibilities of what's out there in the cosmos. And it, this work that I do, helping people to see through, say, a DNA chart that I do, um, allows you to see how you are directly connected to a particular star or a particular being or nature being, because if you can feel it, embodied in your chakras where it already is and you and you know where this essence resides say it's in your heart that you have an angel then you can tap into that feeling of all the angels being around you but you can also feel how you're an angel too through your heart space and it's very empowering it's very uplifting and it creates this feeling of that there is no separation that there is no hierarchy among any beings that you know, an angel isn't higher than us. It's just a part of us, and they're a part of us as well. So it's a very stabilizing, very refreshing and loving experience to feel this. So can you maybe describe a little bit of what the method entails 
uh, if somebody was coming to you to to work with you, what what does the Golden Almac method look like? Um, what modalities and tools do you use that are a part of it, uh, and and how the the process unfolds? And all begins with being able to see, which is which is my specialty, to see the essences inside of people. So. Say if somebody were to send me a, a picture of themselves and their first and last name, that's all I would need to know all of the DNA imprints that they have embedded in each one of their chakras and also on the chakras which are outside of the body as well. So it starts with that, with a process that I do where I go deep within and I feel that particular individual and their experience and the gifts that they're bringing through and any possible um, essence or gift that they have, I feel into that space as if they were inside of me. And then from there, I chart out the DNA so that I can show them that mirror of themselves so that they can start to resonate with the words and with the essences which lie within their chakras. And a lot of times people have told me that it really makes sense, a lot of their um, DNA essences, because they've had experiences, say, with frogs or whatever it may be in their lives before. They've been shown that they have a connection with that. So that's with the DNA charting. And then with the Golden Almach method of healing, that's a completely different modality. That's when I work one-on-one with someone and uh, we work on clearing out anything that is blocking the DNA from coming online. So that includes removing energetic implants, removing any kind of suppression of energies, any kind of negativity that needs to go out And it's all through this psychic and um, spiritual energetic process that I do with people. And there's a formula to it as well. So I can kind of diagnose and see where people are blocked from these DNA imprints coming online and where the DNA imprints also are ready to come online. And then I work with people. It's very uh, unique for each individual. I customize it each time because each person is at a completely different place. So it's really specialized for that person in their experience. And is it primarily energy work, or do you use crystals or cards or other tools as part of the process as well? I use crystals, and sometimes I'll do a tarot card reading too, um, just to see, because the crystals, as you know, they they can help you to have more sensitivity, and they can help the individual that you're working with to have more sensitivity too. So I work with crystal skulls or I work with crystals or sometimes I work with tarot just to see what kind of messages are coming through for that person and to also bring that crystalline frequency into the healing as well with the crystals. It seems to really help because the planet is bringing in uh, crystalline frequencies to help all the DNA upgrade already, but it, it's helpful to have extra you know, power or amp to the session, you know, with, say, a conscious being instead of a crystal skull or just having a crystal there to refresh the energy and to help uh, more refinement of the energy. Um, And it strikes me because something that came up in the roundtable earlier when we were talking about the inner mirror and needing to, to windex the inner mirror in order to see our true reflection more clearly. It's as if you and the, the work that you're doing, you're the windex of spiritual work <laughs> to help people clean that mirror more thoroughly so that they can see 
who they really are and what that potential really looks like without getting obscured by a lot of times the just living life, but also the external things and all sorts of things that starts to dirty up that mirror and prevent us from seeing that that true nature, that true self that we have. Um, so I, I think you should trademark that. You're the Windex of the spiritual healing world. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> and, 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 you know, one thing that that you also mentioned, you said somebody can send you like a picture and their first and last name. And, um, and I primarily work with Tarot and I have clients all over the world, but I always get this question when I tell people that, you know, I can do a reading by FaceTime or Skype or whatever. And they always say, well, does it really work? if you're not there in person or does it work better if you're in person versus doing it, you know, from a distance. So do you find that, that what you do can um, certainly be applied and work just as effectively, whether the person is there or you're having to do it distance? Actually, I found when I work remotely with people that it's easier for more assistance, more uh, galactic beings or their personal um, guides or star lineages to come through when there's a separation because then it's like I'm in my space bringing through my gift and they're in their own space and certain energies can come through specifically for them so the energies aren't getting mixed. I don't know if you felt the same sometimes with your work, but it's just something that I felt like at times the remote work is more powerful than even in person because in person there's more of a connection you know, on a humanistic level. And then I'd say when you're working remotely, you're working through through the ether, you're working through the um, morphogenetic field, and you're connecting with them in a, in a very different way. You're actually very much connected to the cosmic energy both ways, but when you're working remotely, it's like you're depending on that cosmic energy to connect with them. So it's more, um, it's, it's subtle, but it can be felt more in a remote way sometimes. It just depends on where the individual is at, and sometimes they need to have that humanistic with the cosmic, you know, face-to-face, or, you know, through the remote, they're having a different kind of experience, too. But it's all connected through the love and through the joint, you know, positive uh, intention for healing. So it works, like, beautifully on both levels. Well, yeah, and I've... uh... I found that in some ways because there's there's certain types of tarot sessions that I offer, um, and but I think this also applies to doing it with remotely with people. But um, with certain types of sessions that I offer, I usually will ask that we do it in the person's space. So I like go to their home or something like that rather than them coming to me. Um, and the reason is because I want the energy and the information and what comes from the the session to fill the space they inhabit. And then when it's done, they get to just stay there and sit with it and be in it rather than suddenly having to like get up and go out the door and be faced with, you know, the stress of driving someplace or just confronted by the outside world. And so sometimes I do think that whether it's distance, because you also can have that because they're just sitting in their space wherever they are. And then when you finish, they're still there Um, or doing it in person, but going to their space. I think it's similar that what you're saying is it allows that to fill where they are and to for them to just be able to stay in it and sit in it rather than for it to be thought of as something 
in a different place, like where people will say, well, I like to come to where you are because, you know, it's, it feels so peaceful where you do your readings. And so I was like coming there and it's like, well, but I want to try to generate that in you and where you're at rather than thinking it's someplace you have to go to for it. Um, and I think that especially because you're working on the DNA level, it seems that's also what you're trying to foster and cultivate is that sense of it's all within the person. It's not about something external to them, whether generally external or coming to you as the external. Um, so how would you uh, tell some, what are the indications that somebody may have that this, um, this galactic DNA is starting to stir and starting to awaken in them? and that they're ready for this kind of, of work? It's generally when an individual has a heightened sense of, like, creativity or um, energy, like almost like hi- being hyper, overly hyper, where you're running around and you're all excited, but you don't know what you're excited for. And that's usually, like, you're feeling like a birthing is starting to occur inside of you, but you don't have the understanding as to what it is in a logical sense. You just feel it. And sometimes, you know, um, if somebody is having their DNA starting to come online, they'll start to kind of act more like whatever their essence is. So, for instance, say the person embodies the essence of a cat. Well, they're, they're kind of going to walk around gracefully like a cat, or maybe they'll even make cat sounds. It sounds silly, but they're, it's not because it's a way of creatively expressing what's happening from within. And so a lot of people, when they come to me at the work, they can feel that there's something that wants to come online, but they don't know what it is. But then when I say, oh, I see it's this essence, then there's instantly like this uh, relaxation or this tension release that they have just when we have a communication about, well, this is what's going on. And then they feel into it if that's true for them. And then if it resonates, then they instantly relax. And then there's a powerful release of energy and heightened consciousness that comes from there just to have the communication is very very helpful for people to activate the dna because before when they're having these experiences where they're either overly hyper or or maybe they're having like uh fluctuating emotions um and they don't know what's going on with them it's usually that kind of thing like they just don't understand what's happening with them but they feel all these things happening at the same time and then when they connect and there's a communication about what may be happening with them. It's always bringing some kind of release or um, resolution to whatever it is that they're experiencing. And it gives them more um, strength and more uh, solidity in what, in what that experience was so that they can actually grow from it rather than just kind of play around with it and not have a conscious direction as to how to use it or how to connect with it. And if somebody was starting to sense or experience that in themselves, um, what 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 would you suggest to people to not go to a place of fear around it? Because I think a lot of times people start to become afraid because we can get very used to how we define ourselves and who we think we are and the role we play in the world. And a lot of times this kind of Uh, stimulation or activation on the DNA level is going to start really challenging some of that and is going to start making us feel perhaps pushed to start growing or evolving or changing in some way. Um, And I think a lot of people push back out of fear because it's 
unknown, it's unfamiliar, they're not sure what's going on. So what would be something if somebody is starting to experience that that you would advise them or counsel them in terms of how to be with it, work with it, support it, rather nurture it, rather than fearing it and running away from it? The biggest thing is to embrace the sense of adventure in your life. You know, a lot of times we push away from the unknown, from adventure, from trying new things. But once we embrace that and we just trust in, in ourselves and in our, in our guidance and our intuition fully, then there's nothing to fear at all because we can feel it that everything is exactly how it should be. So I always try to encourage people to, you know, be in nature is the most important thing constantly, not just like one day a week, you know, after work, whenever you can. No, make a commitment to be in nature because nature and the planetary consciousness is assisting us in grounding these energies and helping us to work out our DNA and get and you receive healing when you're outside as well in nature. So without you even needing to go to someone, you're already receiving healing and, and love and acceptance from everything in nature. So that is definitely the best thing to do. If you can't just see someone right away, you just go outside, put your feet in the dirt, go by a lake, go someplace beautiful and um, just enjoy. Enjoy life as best as you can. Smile, breathe, relax. Just, you know, do what makes you feel comfortable, but don't stay in the comfort zone of I can only stay within the bandwidth of what I've been told is comfortable or right, but do things that just feel naturally good and refreshing. That's, there's kind of a distinction there. Um, not to just stay in the old norms all the time, but know what works for you and really check in with your intuition. Like a lot of times people, they know what's best for them, but they shut out their intuition, like you're saying, out of fear. And the best way to get closer to your intuition is through nature and just having that experience, that direct relationship with it. And also by being under the stars at night, you're receiving information that's helping you with your consciousness, that's healing you as well. Like it's equally important to sunbathe as it is to star-gaze star, star and get a star bath basically at night. So I go out for walks at night, I go out for walks during the day, and it helps with the DNA and it will help anyone with the DNA and anything that's happening, shifting with the consciousness. It's all very useful. And, and I think that sometimes um, people find excuses for not being in nature, let us say, because they always think it has to mean that they have to have, you know, three hours available to go on a hike in the woods or, you know, they have to have the energy and time to get up off the couch after a long day of work and go out for a walk at night under the stars. And, you know, I think it's more important for people to just remember one, even just make a moment available for yourself to do that. Even if it just means right before you go to bed, just step outside, take a minute or two to look up and just connect and look at the stars and just, be in that moment, even if it's just for a minute or two, and then go to bed. It doesn't have to be some 
you know, planned thing and long thing, but I think that often becomes the excuse for people as to why they, they tended not to do it. And because I hear that all the time, people, you know, you say be in nature. Well, I just wish I had more time so I could go on a hike or so I could go on a long walk or whatever. I'm like, well, okay, if you don't, but you can still make a minute, I'm sure. Um, and, you know, and the second thing I think is also that people forget, bring nature into your space and, and have nature on you um, uh, as, as a very conscious effort. Uh, like bring plants into your space and have living plants, you know, inside your house, not just outside in the garden, but also inside of the house. Um, and crystals, I think some people forget about what nature actually is because we have, some people have a very narrow definition. They think it's trees or flowers, you know, or water. And it's like, yeah, but also crystals and stones. So bringing those into your space, which are also very easy to carry on you, can keep you connected to nature uh, in some way at all times, rather than it always being nature that you have to somehow make time to go out to. Uh, and, and especially with crystals, because crystals hold, you know, I think crystals are the most important aspect for uh, helping people connect with and starting to unlock that DNA shift, because crystals hold all of the information. They have that memory. Um, so they know, they know what's happened and who's been here from millions of years ago. And so having crystals actually starts to connect us to that and it can start to stimulate that, um, what I just call unlocking the DNA, thinking about the kind of work that you do. Um, and I think that those can be a way of having nature in our space and around us all of the time that can also be a very useful tool that we may not even realize is helping us in that process. Um, how do you work with crystals in your uh, method or in the process that you do with people? It's similar to how I help people to understand what essences that they have and a little bit about, give them a little bit of information about how these essences work and um, how, that, how they can creatively play with it. Because imagination is so important with the DNA work and the crystals, they have a consciousness of their own. They also have conscious beings and essences too. So, you know, an amethyst from a, one part of the world might bring in a particular kind of being from, say, Leo constellation, like a lion, for instance. And then that crystal has a unique quality or essence to it. And so I can see also how similarly how I see in human, humanity uh, the essences I see in the crystals as well. So it, when I'm working with people and I know that, say, their essence is a lion and I know that there's a crystal that has that essence, and then when you connect the two together, it's like you said, it's bringing a part of nature and with the crystal it has the, the aspect of the nature and it also has the celestial aspect too. So when that is mer brought into the space, of a particular individual, then they get to have an e another mirror of who they are and another kind of assistant or um, part of their, their greater galactic family come into their life through the crystal that has a unique essence, a particular um, quality that's directly compatible with them. In my work, it's really important to customize the experience for each individual as much as possible so that they can get that much closer to seeing their true potential, to seeing what gifts they have to offer and what they're bringing into the world. 
So the crystals can help with that. A lot of different things can help with that. So say somebody needs something from the outside to help them to remind themselves who they really are and what their gifts are. The crystal is a, a good reminder for that, especially the crystal skull because it has the particular being that comes through and can and it's compatible with us. And do you think that there is um, one or two particular crystals that are good for people to initially perhaps think about uh, having or working with that just seem to always be good for helping to kickstart the process or to help people begin to connect with that deeper potential and and what's happening on that DNA level for them? You know, it's, what, what's, what's the gateway drug crystal for this? <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say it's always good to start with clear quartz um, because it's always very cleansing, refreshing for the aura, and it's connected to the benevolent side of that Atlantean crystalline consciousness, which we're all connected to here on our planet. Uh, and then also smoky quartz is really great for just, sucking out all the negativity. So if you just want to clear out that space instantly, you just get the smoky quartz and it just removes anything, any obscuration, any kind of cobwebs of negative energy lying around your house. It's really good for that. And amethyst is really good for the emotions. It's good for helping you to see what patterns you have in your life. So the clear is always like my personal favorite because I work with it in a particular way. But I know that all crystals, all stones even, have a, a, a nice, you know, unique quality to them. And it's really about, like, what resonates with you. But in particular, I would say the, um, the clear is really good just to start with because it's very gentle in its energy, especially if you're starting out. And then the smoky is when you just really want to <laughs> clear a house and just go to town, you know, clearing like crazy. <laughs> Well, and, but I think There's that's varying also, degrees. <laughs> it, well, and, and I think that that's also an important um, point because a lot of people, when they start to feel this happening or they see that this is what they want to start uh, unlocking in themselves, a lot of people get really excited and they just want to jump into the process. But they haven't cleared away what can still get in the way of the process before doing so. And so the, the excitement may overwhelm or overcome what may be blocking them for the moment, but when the, the work really starts to happen, if they haven't cleared away some of those things, then that often can start to come back in and, and get in the way of making continued progress. Uh, so I think that that clearing aspect is often a very important, because you're kind of, uh, it's a very important first step, because you have to clear away in order to open up the space for what is trying to come in to have the opportunity and ability to come in rather than it crowding itself in there and trying to push and crowd out what doesn't need to be there instead of us doing the work to move out of the way what doesn't need to be there first. Um, is, is the the clearing, the release, the, the letting go, is that a integral part of the process that, that you do? Or do you feel that when people come to you, they've already kind of experienced a release or letting go, and now they're more open and ready for what it is that's going to be unlocking or coming in? 
definitely I've noticed that when individuals are coming to me, they have to be clear, at least to a certain extent in their consciousness, to even be open to the possibility of working with their DNA on this level because it means that you're ready for that next step of actually um, experiencing unity consciousness because that's it's like this is a system to experience unity consciousness through a feeling and through an understanding. So it's not just, you know, the heart-based energies. It's also connecting your consciousness and your body to the energies as well. Uh, and then people typically still need clearing when uh, beginning with the DNA work because there's many lifetimes where people have experienced, you know, some things that need to be cleared on these um, essences, let's say. So, you know, they are carrying a lot of things around that can be released. So each time somebody is releasing something on a DNA level, it's helping everything in their collective. So every time that somebody is receiving healing on one part of their chakra, that's helping everything in life that is connected to that essence. So say if it's a crystalline essence somebody has and you're clearing it, it's clearing all of the crystals, it's clearing all the people that have the crystalline essences, all the crystals in the cosmos. It's a really beautiful experience. So uh, clearing in this way is a very positive thing because it's always offering so much love and so much abundance of energy and connection. Uh, yeah, and, and well, one thing that I liked that you said is um, there has to have, there probably has already been a, a, some level of clearing of consciousness when people come into doing this work, because that kind of has to happen in order for them to be ready. And what I like about that is it's not about somebody just coming to you or some other teacher or some other healer and saying, what can you do for me? It's really the teacher or the healer saying, I'm happy to work with you, but what have you done for yourself first? And then we can start to build on that rather than all of the, the uh, responsibility um, or the effort being put on the shoulders of the teacher or the healer as being the one who's going to do it for the person. Um, and I also like the fact that when we do something for ourselves, like you were saying, not only does it clear, say, that essence, that crystalline essence for us or the crystal we're working with, but it also does it for all crystalline essences of that crystal or all the people that are working with that crystalline essence. And I think we often forget that, yes, we have to do our own personal work and we have our own things to work through and to deal with or to open up, but people seem to not recognize the interconnectedness and how the way we are affects everything around us, even if it's not consciously visible or obvious. And and that's why one person can walk into a room with a really, uh, you know, pouty, angry, negative attitude, and suddenly everybody else in the room becomes a little more pouty, angry, and negative. And I think it's important for people to understand that that's one of the really um, deeper benefits, but also the, the deeper importance of this kind of work that you offer to do with them, not for them, you see. Uh, but the, the kind of work you offer to do with them is because it's not just helping them. It's actually helping them plus the world and the universe rather than it just being about them 
or which is kind of moving beyond the ego, if you will. Um, do you find that when people start to do this kind of work, they become more consciously uh, aware of and conscientious about who they are and, and the work they're doing is directly connected to and related to how the world is and how the universe is? Definitely. It's always exciting working with people, especially if I've worked with them for a long time because they've had some time to really think about their main essence in their root chakra, which is something that we all fully embody because it's like our primordial essence. It's like the mud lotus in which everything is birthed from. So say I, I tell somebody their, their root-based um, imprint, their DNA imprint, that's something really special because it's something that you have all the gifts unlimited access to. And so it's just one of those things where you can see the progression that an individual has and the development that they have. And uh, so I would say to someone, for instance, oh, you're, you embody the essence of a state of reticuli, gray being. And uh, they were afraid in the beginning in one particular case. But now when I talk to them, they're so happy to, they're like almost proud to be Zeta now, which is really exciting to see because they had to get over their, the, the program in their mind that a Zeta is a negative thing. And then that's actually, that was energy working against them. So they broke free from that and they're, they're bringing that gift through into the world and they're positive, they love it, they love who they are, they love the Zetas, they know like how to discern the energies and it's really positive to see these things and it's exciting to see people really own who they are and start to step into their gift in this way and use it also, you know, to use their ability and know that they're bringing that essence through. Say if they are a healer too, it's really wonderful because then they have to bring that through in their healing sessions and we can all heal, as you know. So it's just one of those things where you see people grow and really start to accept this gift that they have and they get excited about it especially you know when it's something that they really resonate with and i and it resonates on every level of life too it's not just on these bigger higher cosmic levels when they start to uh, move past that fear and open up that potential and get excited about some of those things that they may have initially been afraid of um, interacting with or becoming, then I think people will also see that on the everyday level. You know, they'll, they'll find that they become more successful in their career or uh, career opportunities open up that move them in a direction that is more satisfying and really taps into what they really want to be doing in the world. Uh, or it may help them to suddenly start drawing in relationships or being more successful in relationships than they previously had been because they're coming into them more authentically and fully as themselves uh, rather than afraid of who they think they are and that that won't be acceptable and they don't want to show that to the world. You know, so I think that it's also important for people to realize that while this can be very deep and very kind of big cosmic work and healing and all of that kind of thing that um, may be undertaken, it's going to trickle down and, and have a positive benefit on every level of life, be it big or small. Um, you've, you've mentioned a couple of times, uh, well, a lot of the examples you've used um, have been animal related. And I'm wondering if you find that uh, animals or animal essences or, or something related to animals seems to be a very 
key component for either what comes out or what is uh, something that is able to help people initially start to move into this process because animals and what animals are like tend to be a little more familiar to people? Animals are easier to understand for people in terms of what you can embody because people can visualize that. There's a historical kind of expression of that, you know, in art and things like that. So that's why I use animals as an example. But there are also different kinds of star beings like Arcturians and Syrians, and the list goes on and on and on. <clears throat> There's so many different kinds of essences. So it's not to be limited to just that. It's, just, it's more natural for people to understand an animal-based um, essence because it's, it's in our natural environment. It's in nature itself, and nature is something that people understand inherently. It's very easy and it's accessible, whereas the uh, celestial-based essences take a little bit more work, a little bit more research, little bit more investigation to really understand what they're like but there's different kinds of humanoids and all sorts of different kinds of life that exist and that we embody as humanity as well uh, can you can you maybe give us a little glimpse into what some of the star beings especially the ones that maybe more commonly are the the ones that maybe more first experienced by people or tend to be kind of the starting point a lot of times just what the star beings some of them are like what some of the qualities are how people might recognize that they're having an encounter or they're um, experiencing connection with uh, the essences of star beings and that kind of thing the, the celestial sure. realm yeah, um, with, say, like a lot of people claim that they have experiences with Palladians. Well, you know you're talking to a Palladian or that you have a Palladian essence when you love to sing, you love to dance, you love karaoke, that is a Palladian. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and if you're draconian, then there's a certain power, there's a certain um, wisdom and ancient quality about uh, the individual or the being. Uh, and then... For an Arcturian, they're very psychological. They like to see things as not being separated. There's non-dualistic thinking with them. So when you're talking to an Arcturian person, you know it because they don't see any separation. It doesn't make sense to them. So when you're talking to them, you know, this is one gender and this is another, it just doesn't make any sense to them because everything is already unified together. And, and you can – oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, nothing. I was just thinking of um, another example. I mean, we could go on and on about this. Yeah. Well, I, I think besides Pleiadians, I think you also hear a lot um, is Atlanteans. And so, what, what were what 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 are some of the qualities of Atlanteans? Interestingly enough, there are a lot of Atlantean crystalline-based individuals uh, in California, and this is because the the energy of Silicon Valley attracts, you know, the technologically minded individuals. It is innovative. The crystalline energy of Atlantis is very innovative. It's very powerful. And sometimes it's also very forceful. So it's like the balance between the two, uh, creating and innovating, expanding, creating new technology all in each moment, but then also trying to balance in the softness and the love kind of like how you can feel a crystalline being going through their process, almost as though there's this uh, whole experience happening inside of them, and you can feel it. And uh, you can 
correct me on this, but um, I think that more often than not, uh, these um, essences and beings won't just suddenly show up in a vision in front of us. But I would I would think that you can start to see that they're trying to make a connection when you feel particularly uh, drawn to something or interested in something. You know, if you just feel like dance is part of my soul, I just have to dance kind of thing, then that's that mm-hmm. aspect trying to, that's that Pleiadian trying to make connection with you. Not to, They're not going to scare us by suddenly feeling, you know, we wake up in the middle of the night and they're standing at the end of our bed saying, hello, it's time for us to talk. Um, but I think people need to be more aware of and pay more attention to and then realize that things they are drawn to or feel like I just have this strong connection to something or this is just my passion or, you know, I've just always loved this, that if they just scratch the surface of that even a little bit, they'll realize where that connection is coming from and it starts to open up that dialogue more. Um, Do do you think that's the case or do you think that there tends to be more of a direct uh, approach by these beings to, to get our attention when they think that we're ready? It goes both ways. You know how you were mentioning before this work, yes, it's very grand and cosmic scale and also very planetary, but it also, like, it's grounded in the, in the everyday lives of individuals, like you said. So uh, people are having these experiences where they feel drawn to things, like you're saying, like drawn to dance, for instance, if they were a cosmic dancer or a Pleiadian or whatever it may be, uh, or even a fairy, right? It, it's, a, it's just it's having this connection to wanting to practice something in your life that's drawing you closer to that connection with this lineage that you're a part of. It's like you're constantly surrounded by these beings all the time, especially the ones that are working directly with you and the ones that you fully embody. So you're getting the signs through your everyday life. You know, you might just all of a sudden one day want to become a really great chef and then you just start this whole journey and transformation and self-empowerment and self-actualization just, just by allowing yourself to explore that desire that you had to become a chef. And then you start to learn, oh, well, the centaur is a great chef. And just there are things, the connections start to be made after we've gone through these experiences for a while and allowed ourselves to explore who we really are in our daily lives. It starts to show us on the other side of the spectrum how we're connected in that way to something else as well, something cosmic related. So it's all in the daily life, but it's also connected in the cosmological perspective as well. And I would, I would bet that one of the easiest ways for people to start to see where that connection may lie is if they look back to childhood when they were, because when we're a child, we don't have those filters. So if somebody said, Oh yeah, well, you know, when I was little, all I did is I, I just, everything I got my hands on, I always took it apart to figure out how it worked and tried to put it back together. Then to me, that would probably be a very Atlantean uh, connection. Um, You know, whereas if somebody said, oh yeah, you know, whenever I was at home, it drove my mom crazy because I was always in my room. I always had music on. I was always dancing around. Then that would probably be, uh, you know, at at the, the core level, it's probably like, then you have probably a very strong connection to the Pleiadian aspect of things. Um, so do you find that, that looking back, especially to childhood, there are very clear indications and that can often be a really good jumping off point to start to see what that either initial 
connection is or what the primary essence is that someone may be connected to? Absolutely. In childhood, we have a very clear consciousness. And then sometime during adolescence, we're told, um, or before adolescence even, we're told that, you know, the things that we imagine or create aren't real, right? We're told it very early on in childhood as well. But we're, we're expected to let it go around adolescence. We're, and if we don't, then we're frowned down upon in society. So we, we already know when we're children exactly what we're connected to. You know, and when we're pretending in, uh, in make-believe when we were children, we knew exactly who we were. We knew exactly what gifts we had to bring, and we knew exactly how to use them. We were just doing it. Like you said, we were taking apart the remote, putting it back together, or we were by a pond, you know, trying to swim like a frog because we knew that we were these things. And we were playing it out in the natural world to remind ourselves who we really are. And so we're in the process of actually kind of going back to this really clear and um, pure understanding and consciousness that we had in childhood. All of us as adults are going back to that moment in time to uh, basically analyze and observe what our gifts were and how we understood them back then so we can bring them back, bring them in fully now because the way that the consciousness is shifting and the DNA is upgrading is expecting us to revisit these things like you're saying in childhood in this knowing of ourselves. Right, because because in childhood it's the nascent potential, and now we're being asked to come back to it so that we can start unlocking and revealing and working with the greater potential that it holds now that we've grown and learned and are now ready to go beyond just that nascent kind of um, pure essence of the potential. Um, so you've uh, also started a school for being able to learn how to do this method and, and work with other people with this method. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that school is about? Uh, and is, is doing this kind of method something that anyone can learn? Or is it just, you know, they have to go through some sort of a screening process and you're able to identify who is and who isn't ready or able to? To, to learn to do this? The school I am working with and just sharing this information, it has to do with teaching people what the essences are specifically so that they can see it and identify it and understand all of its attributes and how it, how it varies very slightly from um, each essence to the next. So it's just something that I offer for people to get a better understanding of these essences that we're talking about, like what's the difference between a Pleiadian and an Arcturian, and what would that what would that look like in in our daily lives, and how would that feel even? So, um, and in terms of the healing work, I haven't taught people how to do this method yet. I have two students that I'm working with, but it, it requires so much time to understand each one of these essences because there's more than a hundred that uh, it, it's a very one-on-one -on -one kind of thing. And if, but if people are interested, they should definitely let me know because I, I'm in the process of kind of explaining to people how to work with this method through the book that I'm writing is the intention that people will be able to read the book and do it themselves and also connect with me um, if, they, if they would like to work on these levels to understand the different essences and um, how they work in, in the human body, how they work with the energy. It's a very complex system 
So it does require a big commitment if you want to learn how to uh, use the method of healing that I do where you open up the specific star portals for people. And also, you know, to, to see the DNA takes a lot of training, a lot of refinement of consciousness in order to do that. Yeah, so if is this something both just the, the, the school you were talking about of helping people just understand what some of the basics are around the different essences and, and things um, versus learning the healing method, are those things that you offer both online, distance, and in person, or is it something that people have to be able to be in person with to learn? It's, it's both. Um, like I said, you know, the remote work works wonderfully and being in person works equally as good. But in terms of the healing modality, it's something that has to be, um, it's like a transmission of energy and consciousness that you do in person, definitely, at least in the beginning, um, just to create that connection between yourself and um, everyone that's working with it, this kind of energy healing. Because it's like you guys are in your own kind of world and you have right. to connect at least in a physical way in order yeah. to go like beyond. <laughs> um, and uh, do you have any upcoming events or workshops or anything that you'll be offering where people could see you or hear you speaking? Yes, I am probably going to set up a, a DNA imprint class where I'll be talking about a specific imprint. Um, sometime this month, I'll be sending out an email about that, and people can subscribe to my email newsletter through my website. So I, I let everyone know about my events through my website and through the email newsletter. So, yeah, I teach classes, and that's pretty much what's coming up for now. Um, and I was at New Living Expo before. That's where we met. Um, yeah, so there's just basic things that I do. I do teleconferences as well. So those are just some ways to connect with me that are coming up very soon. And for people that wanted to subscribe or find out information about that, then they, your website is goldenalmachcreation.com, which is golden, A-L-M-A-C-H, creation.com, correct? Correct. And, and do you have a Facebook page or anything, or should they just go to the website? Just go to the website for now. Okay. Um mm -hmm. So as we move to the close of our conversation, there is uh, something that I like to ask every guest, two things actually. Um, and the first is I will have a question for you that was asked by a previous guest. Um, they didn't know who it would be asked to for you to respond to. And then I'm going to ask you for a question that will be posed to a future guest um, without knowing who that might be, just whatever is arising for you in this moment and the question you feel you want to ask in this moment. Uh, so the, the question that I will ask you from a previous guest is from Beverly Kane, who was on the show a couple of months ago. And she, in particular, she works with horses. Um, and her question is, can you describe a time when an animal touched your life and made it better? Animals are a huge part of my life. There's so many instances where they have affected my life in such a benevolent and beautiful way. But in particular, I had an experience when I was at a flea market. It was a really hot and sunny day. It was a miserable day. And I was just walking around, and I saw this person that had um, 
cats for sale. And so I wasn't even intending to get a cat, but I felt the, the cat drawing me in and I had a, a really huge heart expansion where I just felt like we were going to help each other and we were going to give each other love. And it was such a clear um, experience where we both knew that we were meant to work with one another. And so I adopted her and she's been a really wonderful um, member of my family ever since. So it's just been really beautiful, always connecting with animals in every way. They just bring so much joy and love and purity to everything. It's really wonderful. And, and what's the cat's name? Min, M-I-N. Min, as in oh. Minnie. <laughs> oh, now see, for me, M-I-N, that <clears throat> would connect it to the Egyptian god. It is named after that. And I didn't know that's what it was named. It just The cat told me that's what its name was. <laughs> Interesting. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, and had you started uh, creating this work that you're doing when you got the cat, or did the cat come prior to that? I was, yeah, actually, I was in the process of working with this work, like right a, a little bit a year before she came into my life. So, because the the god Min, you know, one of the is the god of, well, fertility let us say. Um, Uh And actually in ancient Egypt, one of the big festivals was the Min Festival every year. And the Pharaoh would go out and they would perform the Min Festival. And the idea was that it was um, seeding or fertilizing the the land so that there would be a bountiful harvest. So for me, it seems as if, is it a she or a he, the cat? It's a she. It's a she, she. yeah. So there's a sense that she came along just as there was a need to fertilize the seeds that you had started planting a year within that year prior for this work and then was perhaps kind of that fertilizer and that catalyst for the the growth to really take off um, in some way. So not a surprise to me that she both showed up and said that's what her name was. Um, (laughs) So then what I would like to ask you is what question would you have for uh, a future guest? Okay, here is my question. Do you believe in God or creator? Okay, well, that's a (laughs) big question. Could be a very controversial (laughs) question as well. (laughs) I like it. Yeah, okay. So I'll just just want to remind people one more time that they can find information about you and the work you do. They can contact you if they would like to work with you, as well as find out about uh, upcoming events and places that they can find you and subscribe to your newsletter uh, by going to your website at uh, goldenalmockcreation.com. And with that, I would like to extend a thousand gratitudes to you, Chela for having been willing to join me here today and to help share and and enlighten others as to the work that you're doing and what it is that you have to offer. Thank you very much for having me on the show. And I encourage you, uh, if you're listening, to stay tuned. Coming up next is our Living Well segment uh, with Linda Wiley. And I know she has some great, a couple of great little summer recipes uh, to try out uh, that I think you'll find very tempting and also very easy to do. Um, So stay tuned for that. And then uh, after that, we will have our portion for live readings where you can call in and get a reading live on the air during the show. And if you would like to do that, 
You can either Skype in from the show page or you can call 646-716-5510 in order to get into the queue and get a reading a little bit later. So thank you very much to Chela for having been here. And I encourage you to stay tuned and we will be right back. Revolution with host Heisey Ludmers on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with Heisey. I am Linda Wiley and this is Living Well with Linda. Your monthly guide to the well-being of your body, mind, and spirit. It's about an alternative approach to life, healing, and living well in our changing world. Food is alive. It is a being. It is a sacred being. Food is not just our vital need. It is the web of life. Vandana Shiva 
Our body is a machine for living. It is organized for that. It is its nature. Let life go on in it, unhindered, and let it defend itself. It will do more than if you paralyze it by encumbering it with remedies. Leo Tolstoy, War and Peace. To realize our connection with all of life and the plant and animal kingdom and how we support and help each other in our process. I am Linda Wiley, and this is Living Well with Linda. Summer is just about to arrive, and for many of us, it already has. The warmth of the sun gives rise to all manner of life within and without. Observing nature's ways and following them is a way to heal and prosper. It's a time of abundance and coming to fullness, blossoming forth as it were. It's a carefree kind of time and feeling space. The whiling away of hours, dreaming of things to come, the gentle breeze blowing, the bees buzzing away, spreading life. Our hearts seem to open and dance more freely in this abundant, safe, pleasurable time of year. Health seems more easy to come by as we find the outside calling to us and the sun fills our being with light. We touch the earth barefooted and balance our bodies as we allow the sun's rays and the earth's energies to fill us and heal us as well as for the sun to fill us with its vitamin D3. Of course, the sun and the earth have the healing powers. They are what drive life here. No need to fear. So we celebrate and honor the fullness of life and the spiritual fire that is within all things. And we take this time to raise our energy to regenerate our beings and the earth, one and the same, and to begin to manifest our winter's dream. So how do we celebrate this? We, we make it something of a ritual, understanding the sacredness of all of life, and we include ourselves in this understanding. And that's a very important part. So I found a list of a few uh, ideas and things to help make it fun and full of life. And remember, the act of creating something beautiful is sacred and healing. And as you do it, infuse it with your intention and hold a vision for peace and freedom for our planet and its inhabitants. And then toss it into the fire or toss it off into the universe and, and let it begin to manifest as well. So we make a bonfire then, and we honor uh, and celebrate the inner and outer fire. We can play drums and dance and, and sing and make merry with, with our loved ones, our family, community. If you want to get more ritualistic, you can add some herbs into the fire with your deepest intentions and, and wishes. Make an altar of light with candles and flowers, fruits. You can actually set some fruits like oranges or tangerines, put them in, in the uh, sun, and then they're infused with that energy and quality of the sun, and you can put that as a light part on your altar too. And you can also make a hole in the orange and put the candle in it. They make a fun candle holder. So make a sun mandala with fruits and flowers. Lay it out on a piece of you know, big cardboard or on your table where you want to leave it, whatever, and just have fun creating, making a beautiful, a beautiful scene. Make a solstice flower essence. And you, the way you would do that is, first off, make sure that you know what 
plants are medicinal and edible and not and and use wisdom and care but it's about all these things are about getting you out into nature and enjoying the beauty of of life in this wonderful season so you go out into nature and your garden your yard whatever tune into it what resonates with you what feels good what's drawing your attention pick a flower and make one essence at a time and make sure you ask to have permission to pick the flower as well and, and hear the yes within. Uh, you, so you put the, the flowers in a small glass bowl and you let it with spring water and you let it sit direct in the sunlight for three to four hours uh, so, so that the sun rays penetrate and infuse the water with the essence and elements of that, of that flower. And then you strain that and you put it in a in a little glass jar and then you fill the jar with the essence halfway up with water and then the other half with brandy or scotch and you put it on the lid on it and date it and and there you have it uh and i i think it would be fun too happy solstice and you know share this energy in people's water a lovely thing and then there's also um a, a solstice sun tea which is a similar kind of thing but go out and gather your flowers and herbs and put them in a mason canning jar a big one and fill it with spring water and put it out in the in the sun for the day or afternoon a few hours and you'll have a lovely wonderful sun infused solar sun uh, solstice sun tea and since we are entering into astrologically into the sign of cancer which is a water sign and how perfect because summer and water totally go together so play with water enjoy water and drink water lots of water drink water play it's summer after all have a good time and maybe make a flower wreath for your front door your hair for your table you know just uh Again, creativity is what gets those juices going. So here's another uh, couple of ideas for that creative juice flowing kind of thing. And uh, it's about uh, creating food. And so I have two recipes for us today. And one is called, uh, I'm not going to say how to do it or whatever. We're just going to share the ingredients in the title. And you can look these up online under their name. They're easy to find. Uh, this one is called Seasonal Food for Free. It's a nettle and hazelnut tart. And it's uh, a combination of different flavors that will delight your guests and yourself. And something that I think that we should all become used to is foraging and gathering wild food and using it. It's, it's actually some of the most life-giving, superfood kind of things going, wild food. So this hazelnut and nettle tart is you need a pastry dough and you pre-bake it and then in the meantime you're getting your nettles and when you harvest them remember they're stinging nettles so you have to wear gloves and uh, long sleeves and be, be careful um, so it has uh, nettles eggs parmesan cheese ricotta cheese cream fresh nutmeg whole hazelnuts that you roast and de-skin and crush milk and salt and pepper you're going to mix this all together put it in the shell and bake it serve it with a salad from your garden and fresh herbs and mm, yummy and then another one is a wild greens pizza uh, you know pizza you always think it's a kid's junk food you know fat 
kind of thing. Well, it turns out we need fat anyway in our diets these days, but we can make it really healthy. And I love pizza, and I think it's a, a great food. It's a complete food in a few pieces, <laughs> a complete meal. Um, and I say, you know what, to my kids, well, how would we have made it through life without pizza and burritos? So make your pizza he- ha- healthy, go out with your kids and family, forage for these things, learn about them. And this pizza, you know, it's just like a regular pizza. Put your favorite things on it, but you're going to top it off with dandelion greens, which are a nutritional powerhouse, great for the liver and the gallbladder and cleansing the blood. And they're high in vitamin A, potassium, calcium, many more things. Uh, just a, a wonderful food to get used to using. And chickweed is a delicious, tangy, bright spring green filled with uh, uh, vitamins and minerals as well and then lamb's quarters it's a mild green reminds me of spinach but it's incredibly nutritious and then purslane is another one of those wild greens so it's purslane is often hated by gardeners it's so prolific like most all these weeds are really it's amazing how they can take over but if they only knew how valuable this weed is, it's uh, high in vitamins and minerals and antioxidants. And it's high in uh, EPA, which is an omega-3 fatty acid. So, you know, have fun with your family. Go out and do this. Assemble your pizza. Put these greens chopped up on the top. Cover it with cheese. And you can even get gluten-free uh, pizza dough these days and you don't even have to use dairy if you don't want to. It's just fun to have the greens and the vegetables, the combination. It's a wonderful thing. So here are a couple of uh, little news items. Some good news, fun news. Uh, there's something called a sprout pencil and it's a tube filled with organic seeds that you germinate and they're herbs. And so it's easy and fun, and you just put the pencil into the soil, water, and put in the sun, and, and there you have a, a growing herb garden. And then in a successful, worldly kind of way, knowing the law is key to our success in overcoming the powers that be from their continued destruction of the planet and its resources. So a man has effectively stopped oil corporations from putting a pipeline through his 800-acre property by covering it with artwork and copywriting the top six inches of his land as artwork, realizing that mining companies can legitimately lay claim to any land underneath private property to a depth of six inches. So this man contacted a lawyer who drew up an intellectual property copyright claim that said that if the oil company disturbed the top six inches in any way, it would be a copyright violation. So the oil companies cannot continue for now, at least. Power to the people through knowing by researching that nothing is as it appears to be within the world today. So cover your land with artwork and get it copyrighted. So here's some tips. Uh, Relax and enjoy. 
Soak up the sun's gifts of light. Spread it around. Save it up within for winter to warm you from the inside out. Get out into the sun. The sun is about life here, along with water. It's not toxic. It's our thoughts and sunscreen that make it toxic. So yes, use wisdom in the sun. It's the vitamin D3 we're after. So the sun is best to be enjoyed in the morning before noon and after 3 or 4 in the afternoon. During the heat of the day, stay inside or cover up with a shirt and a hat and drink water. Drink lots and lots of water. Most of us are chronically dehydrated anyway, and this is a huge cause of disease since the body cannot clear itself without water. Enjoy family and friends and nature. Get out in it as much as possible. The earth heals so much for us if we but let her. closing I'd like to say that summer is about the essence of life so fill yourself up with that light, love, warmth full bloom, blossom into life for we are all the essence of life, we are life itself this thought, this knowing this truth, this application, this living life from this stance sets us free, happy solstice Remember, it's only a dream. It's only a dream. It's only a dream. It's only a dream. Thank you for joining me today for this segment of Living Well with Linda. I'm Linda Wiley. If you would like to chat further with questions, comments, or consultations, please contact me at linda at prestia.com. Thank you and blessings to all. Blessings to all. Have a great rest of the day. Personal Tarot Reading can offer you insight, information, enlightenment, and empowerment along your life's path. Hi C is a professional Tarot conversationalist and ritualist with over 10 years' experience. He's available for readings in a variety of formats, including parties and events. To schedule your personal Tarot Reading, contact Hi C at tarotbyhic.net or email him at hic at fireflywillows.com. And this is the portion of our show where there is an opportunity to receive live readings. Um, Today, there is no one in the queue for a reading, and I'm sure people are out enjoying this beautiful summer day. Uh, And I'm hoping that everyone is having a very blessed, enjoyable, and relaxed summer. Um, I thought that instead of, since there isn't a particular person to do a reading for, I would simply 
pull for some guidance to do a reading for everyone listening. And again, this is information, guidance, wisdom that is um, appropriate for you to hear at whatever moment you're hearing it, whether live during the show or three years from now in the archives on Blog Talk or in iTunes. So I decided instead of pulling from the Tarot that I would pull from the Isis Oracle, which is by Alana Fairchild. And this is a beautiful, beautiful Oracle deck. Um, And the book that comes with it is also extremely uh, beautiful because not only does it talk about each of the cards in the deck, but it also offers uh, a ritual and a meditation that you can do for each of the cards, as well as a incantation or a mantra or an affirmation that uh, accompanies the card that you can then use daily or whenever you need to access or stimulate the energies from what that card has to offer. So I pulled a card from there for everyone listening at the moment that you are hearing this, whenever that is. And the card that came up is called Scales of Balance, um, which relates to the ancient Tantra of the soul, as she refers to it here. And that shows us that right now is a time for really focusing on how to bring balance into our lives, where there is imbalance, and what we need to do to begin writing that imbalance so that things come back into a state of balance and perfection. And this can include work-life balance. This can include um, being so focused on the external or material aspects of life that we have neglected the spiritual growth and development of ourselves so that there is a better balance there. This can include the balance of giving and receiving love so that we're not always giving but not ever receiving what's being offered or what we need. Or on the flip side, we're not always taking what we need but then not offering back in some way what it is that we have to offer so that there is a continuous back and forth flow. Um, It may mean that we need to release anger, that we need to allow for forgiveness of ourselves or others or ask for forgiveness so that balance in relationships uh, and dynamics in relationships can come back. And one of the things that this um, card asks us to remember is that our body is a temple. And part of the balance would be, are we doing things that are in rightness and in balance with what our body needs in order to keep it healthy and vibrant and alive. Um, That can include exercise, that can include what we eat, that can include spiritual development, all sorts of things, mental uh, health and and development. Um, But part of it is going deeper that when we talk about the Tantra of the soul, it's a reminder that we're not just our body and that the balance is that we are both a body and a soul and that our body is our temple and our vehicle for the soul to be able to conduct its journey. Uh, And we want to just like aligning the wheels on our car so that we have a more balanced and smooth ride when we are driving on the road. Um, We want to make sure that our body, both physically and energetically, is in balance and alignment so that our soul can have a smoother journey and also a more uh, successful journey 
by being able to travel to where it needs to go and get us to and through the lessons and destinations that we need to arrive at in this lifetime more efficiently and more effectively rather than getting stuck or breaking down. Um, and when we're not in a balanced state, when we're not in alignment, then we have a greater tendency towards breaking down, towards crashing, towards not having the fuel that we need in order to actually uh, move forward and fulfill our journey to its greatest potential. Um, it's also a card that comes up when it is reminding us that part of our path is uh, um, related to our own inner healing and service. So there may be things that we need to be doing to heal ourselves so that we are better able to be in service to the world around us and to the journey that our soul needs to be on. Um, so I would just encourage you to think about some of these things and uh, really look at where there may be imbalances and what you need to be doing to bring greater balance and alignment into yourself, into your body, into your life, because that will then allow your world that you inhabit and walk through and travel through to be more balanced and to operate more efficiently and easily for you. And so to close, I wanted to just leave you with the incantation or the affirmation, the mantra that goes with this. And this is something that you could use to repeat throughout the month um, or any time you're feeling that you are out of balance in some way and you want to connect with and bring back a state and a sense of balance to yourself, to your body, and to your life. So the incantation is as follows. The scales are balanced with perfection, feminine and masculine in divine connection. Surrender and strength, body and soul, together are loved, united and whole. I know when to act and when to rest. Scales of balance allow harmony to vest. Deep within, I am now at peace, as imbalance. I effortlessly now release. I feel balance, wholeness, and vitality as I balance and heal my divine humanity. So I leave those words with you. I wish you a wonderful summer solstice. I wish you an amazing summer. And I invite you to come back again next month for the show in July. Uh, Revolution airs the second Sunday of each month. So the next show will be airing on July 13th at 10.30 a.m. Pacific time. Thank you very much to my guest, Chela, for having joined me. And thank you to you for having listened. I hope that you found something worthwhile, valuable, and interesting in the show today. And I invite you back to join us next month Sunday, July 13th, for Revolution with High C. Thank you for joining us. Revolution with host High C. Lutmers, brought to you by Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. Find out more at facebook.com slash revolution with high C. Please join us next time on Firefly Willows L-I-V-E for Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist, with Heisey Lutmers and Charlie Harrington, Tuesday evening at 8 p.m. Okay.